I, I want to speak to you today about a very difficult subject, and that is marriage. The reason it's difficult is because as I look around the audience, as I, as I, I look around uh, people around me, my friends, I see a lot of couples who are struggling. A lot of couples who are hurting to the point where they say, is it worth it to continue on in this relationship? Now, I know there's people that are even wondering, will I ever enjoy marriage? I'm single. If Will I ever get married? I'm older. I'm in my 30s. Will I ever get married? So I, I come to you with sensitivity to that fact, but yet I believe God laid this on my heart to share with you all. Now, you may ask, who's this message for then? Are you married? This message is for you. Are you thinking about getting remarried or married for the first time? This message is for you. Do you know somebody who's married? Do you know somebody who's married? This message is for you. Do you know how to spell the word marriage? This message is for you. Even if you don't know how to spell the word marriage, it's for you. Thank God for autocorrect. Because I spelled it A-I instead of I-A all week long as I was preparing this. Four-year-old Jane was in preschool, and the story was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs for the day's story. She had never heard the story before, and so she was paying attention Undivided attention to the teacher. The teacher told the story of this sweet young girl who was fed a poisoned apple and by an old witch and the predictable result. She fell into a deep sleep and would not awake unless the Prince Charming came and gave her a kiss. Jane could hardly wait to get home and tell her mom about this story. At home, Jane said, Mommy, let me tell you this story. You will never believe it. She began to describe the story of Snow White. When she got to the end, she said, Mommy, Prince Charming kissed her back to life. And guess what happened? Her mother responded, Well, honey, they lived happily ever after. She shook her head. No, Mommy, that's not right. They got married. That so often is the case of so many couples that, that I talk to. Look around, and this is my assignment for you tonight. Look around at the married couples in here tonight. Not right now, but throughout the night, and just say, which one of these couples really have a happy, lasting marriage that, that has sustained them for years and is growing in their relationship? A couple weeks ago, it was Helen and my 37th anniversary, and on Facebook I posted this nice romantic tribute to my wife, and and a lot of people wrote back, said, congratulations, way to go, you guys deserve it, all these things. It was all nice and everything, but one post got my attention, and he gave me permission to share it with you tonight. He wrote, so happy for you and Helen but please remember that there are dozens, perhaps hundreds of us, that have marriages that are on the brink of failure daily. 
and hope seems to be a dream at best. You know, I've known this guy for years, and it didn't offend me that he said that, but yet I had to say to myself, you know, you're right. You know, I have been blessed with a wonderful wife, a relationship, but there's so many that have not. And so as we look around and we see these married couples and they say, man, they are so lucky. Wrong. Luck has nothing to do with it. It's like a professional athlete that they're not just lucky to be there. It takes work, hard work, and long practices, disappointments, broken bones, torn ligaments, and many hours in the gym, and studying film to get where they are. It takes dedication and single-mindedness. And that's what we want to look at tonight. Single-mindedness and, and dedication. So the principle we're going to be looking at today will be, Lord willing, give you and I a game plan that we can get into the big game. And we can make it to the big league. So we'll be spending most of our time in the book of Proverbs, so get your Bible ready. We're going to be flipping back and forth in a few of the verses there. And we're going to look at some of the problems and some of the cures that they talk about in the book of Proverbs. But before we start that, let's have a word of prayer. Father, today as we open your word to see what you have in store for us, God, I thank you for the families that we have represented in this audience today. And I pray that, Lord, the, the verses, the things that are shared will, will speak to our lives and give hope and encouragement and be a blessing to those who are attending and hear it on the web. So, Lord, I commit this time to you and, and just give me the words that you have laid on my heart to share with these precious people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mike Mason, an author, he wrote, to keep a vow means not to keep from breaking it, but rather to devote the rest of one's life to discovering what that vow means and to be willing to change and grow accordingly. You get that? Read it one more time. To keep a vow means not to keep from breaking it, but rather to devote the rest of one's life to discovering what the vow means, and be willing to change and grow accordingly. Albert Einstein wrote, Men marry women with the hope that they will never change. Women marry men with the hope that they will change. Invariably, they are both disappointed. Quite insightful. So grab your Bibles and open first to Proverbs 18, verse 22. Proverbs 18.22, it says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So we see right off the bat that God ordained marriage and, and it's a good thing and you obtain favor from the Lord. So the first point that I want to look at tonight is that marriage takes hard work. It takes hard work. From the beginning of time, God had a plan that a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall be one. 
And again in Genesis, he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, subdue it, have control over it. Nothing has changed from that time. There are some, I will say, that are given the gift of celibacy to be able to remain single their whole life. That way they can serve God more wholeheartedly. God bless them. We need them. But for those of us who are not gifted that way, God has given us a desire to be married and to be together. To be better used by God as a couple than we could as a single. That's why he brings us together. So that we can fulfill his goals and plans for our life better than we could as a single person. So how do we get to the point in our relationship that God wants us to be? How do we perfect our marriages? Not that we will ever have perfect marriages, but that we'll continue to build on what God has intended us. It takes hard work. Look in Proverbs 13.10. We'll see a couple verses that that just fight so much against that. 13.10 says, By insolence comes nothing but strife. But with those who take advice is wisdom. Another translation puts it, Pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. One of the reasons that our marriages fail is because of pride and insolence in our relationships. We need to think, well, nothing tears us apart faster than that when we think that we always need to be right. When we have to have the last word, fighting and arguing is a result of insolence and pride. It says in Proverbs 15, just a couple pages over, Proverbs 15, verse 17, it says, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Our society has filled us with a pack of lies. Our society tells us that we deserve a better life. We deserve what our parents couldn't have. We deserve what our grandparents couldn't have. We deserve all the good things of this earth. And in order to gain them, we need to work longer hours and sacrifice our time with our family to give them the better life. I'm doing it for them, you may say. And as a result, we have thousands of absentee fathers and mothers who entrust the raising of their kids to a, to a society, to a system. Is he saying that in order to be happy, we need to do away with anything that is, that is nice and good? No, he's not saying that at all. It's our priorities. It's what he's saying is that, that we need to focus on the important things in our life rather than having all the goods. Does that make sense? That's what we're trying to get across. There's a family that used to attend Cornerstone. Uh, they've moved away from since then. But I was truly impressed with the way he ran his family. He worked for a company that had offered him raises one after another and offered him promotions. But he turned them down because he felt it was more important to spend time with his wife and kids. And he knew that if he got these promotions that he would be traveling more and he would be 
uh, more away from home and more responsibilities and more headache and bringing work home with him and not able to go to the ball games, the concerts and stuff with his kids. I admired him for that. I told him that a number of times. But you know what? The Lord blessed him. And the Lord has blessed him that that company did not say, well, you don't want to take this? Then you go find another job. No, they've kept him on. And, and he's enjoying his family. That's so important, is that we have the proper priority. And remember that marriage is hard work. The second thing is that we have to admit our sinful bent. We all have a sinful bent or a propensity to sin within us. And marriage, marriage brings two sinners together who are naturally self-centered at their core. You understand that? Because of our propensity to sin, two people come together who are selfish at the core. And they have to make this work. And if you don't work at it, don't admit your bents toward that, it'll fail. We need to recognize what those bents are and deal with them. Watch this video clip and then we'll talk about it in a second. Ray, could you get up and help me, please? We've got to shampoo the rug before they come over tonight. Shampoo the rug? It's Bernie and Linda. I'm not even going to shampoo myself. Well, when they pass out from your smell, I want them to land on a clean rug. Okay? Come on, get up. Let's oh, go. Look, Here come on. Go. I'm tired. I drove the kids to all their crap. I'd like to sit down for a little while. Well, me too. Come on. Ow. Why do you always do this? Every time we have people over, we spend all day making the fake house. It's not fake. It's the way the house should be all the time. Yeah, but it isn't. So actually, it's like lying, huh? Right? Is that what you're about? Lying to people? Would you just start clearing everything off the rug, please? I really don't see the need. Ray, I said help me. I don't see the need. <laughs> to sit there while I do all the work. I had the kids the whole morning. Because I was cleaning. Well, well stop it already. Ray, seriously? No. Get up and help me. No. Get up. No. Ray. Listen, you know what you don't understand? I work hard all day. I got a lot of stress. I come home and I'm... I saw that, I was watching that the other day, and when I saw that, I said, that fits. Thank you, Lord. So there's two problems that, that arose in that clip, and I want to spend a few minutes talking about them. I'm going to speak to the wives first. In, um, in Proverbs 27, verses 15 and 16, in your notes, you'll, you'll see that it, this is nagging quarrelsome and contentious. 
In 27, 15, and 16, it says that a, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. Another word for quarrelsome is contentious or one who nags or argues about everything. I want you to be honest with me. How many of you felt sorry for Deborah? Raise your hands. That Ray would... Nobody felt sorry? Okay, some, okay, now you're being honest. How many felt sorry for Ray that she was demanding all these things? All right, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. So, as we, as we look at this situation, I see so many of us in that, in that clip. When Helen and I first moved into the village in northern Thailand, we lived in a, a thatched roof house. And, Invariably, after hot season, rainy season comes, there would, leaks would develop in the leaves. And so what I have to do is climb up into the rafters and move the, the leaves around a little bit to get the leak to stop. It was okay. Except when it was the middle of the night. And the rain would come. And I would be laying there listening to the rain pitter pattering on our roof and it was just a nice relaxing sound. All of a sudden, my leg would start getting wet. Or I would hear this constant drip on the floor next to the bed. Ugh! I just wanted to scream because I am tired. I do not want to get up, and I don't want to go up and fix that in the middle of the night. So what do we do? We go sleep out in the other room or something to let our bed get soaked and, and try to take care of it in the morning. That's how a man feels who's being nagged by a contentious, nagging wife. Come on, can't I ever please you? Can't I ever do anything right? I hear that. I've said them at times. Another verse that speaks into this is chapter 12, verse 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. But she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. That's quite a contrast between a crown and rottenness in the bones. The moral character of our wives is so vital to a man's well-being. If shame is brought into the house, it will destroy any hope or joy in a man's life. But a woman of high moral standard is like a crown to him. And who wouldn't enjoy coming home to that at the end of a busy day? Think about that. All right, men, let's turn over and look at you a little bit. In Proverbs 27, verse 8, Proverbs 27, 8 says, Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. So the tendency that men have is to neglect. That's probably encompasses so many Problems in marriages is neglect. There are many ways that this is evident. And let's look at these. I've got a few of them here. First one is one word answers. The way that we neglect our wives. They're trying to hold a conversation and, and we're distracted. Uh, yeah, okay, whatever. Things like that. That proves that we're just neglecting them. Second thing is that we don't share our feelings. You know, what do you think about um, 
what's going on in, in Benghazi or ben, what's going on? What, what did you think about Pastor's sermon this last Sunday or Saturday? Where, what did you think? You know, how have you been feeling? You don't share the struggles that you're having at work with one of your coworkers that you're beginning to have lustful thoughts toward her. Or that you're, you're suffering from road rage on your way back and forth to work and you don't know how to beat it. You don't share any of those feelings. That's neglecting. Third one is that, that you refuse one-on-one time. You just think it's not that important. You know, you told her you loved her at the altar that day 15 years ago. What do I need to keep pursuing her now for? Or agreeing to do something together but never following through on it. That's neglect. You do hurtful things. You mock them. Play down their feelings of insecurity and and frustration. Oh, come on, you'll get over it. The kids will grow up. They'll get better. You know, just doing hurtful things to them and not paying attention to what's really going on in their heart. This is a big one, that she's not your first choice when you have good news to share. You got a promotion at work. Who's the first one you call? Your buddies, your parents, and your wife finds about, out about it from, her, from your parents. That's neglecting. You don't consult her before making bigger purchases. That's neglecting. Because you don't, you're not respecting her opinions. That's hurtful. That's neglectful. Or you put her down in front of others. That's huge. Way to squelch a wife's heart. To just put a knife in there is to put her down in public, in front of other people. Should never happen. Never. Those right there are probably two biggest issues that married couples face. A contentiousness in the marriage and a lack of sensitivity and um, pursuing them. Neglectfulness. Time won't allow us to, to break these things down. We could take a couple weeks and tear these down even more and more. But it doesn't allow us. But suffice it to say that that man's inability to please his wife, resulting in her nagging or disrespecting him, and the wife's feeling of neglect by her husband, all stem from a selfish, sinful nature we are both born with. (coughs) The way to overcome these sinful natures, this sinful nature that we have, is number one, is that you need to be a believer. Reading his word and studying it and, and spending time in walking by faith and following the word and, and, and all these things are so important to do that together as a couple. And the second thing is that we need to live by Philippians 2 verses 3 to 5. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look on your own interest, but also to the interest of others. And your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. 
We could go on with that section, how he humbled himself. But do, you, do you understand how that, that as a couple, as a family, we need to be looking out for the best of the other person instead of ourselves? So let's look at ways that we can defeat that, that nagging and neglect <clears throat> and turn it around for the good. So ladies, we're going to talk to you first again. So women, it's not just stopping bad words only, but it's replacing them with good. So flip over to Proverbs 15, verse 23. 15:23, it says, To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. You know, knowing the timing and, and, and everything when you say something is so important. I came up with a, with a few things here. What you want to say may be true, but it may not be helpful. I'm only trying to help him change, is the second one. That's what Einstein said. But whose job is it to get our spouse to change anyways? It's the Lord's. Wives, the best thing that you could do for your husband is to pray for him, support him, affirm him in the areas that he's doing well in, and you'll see a marked difference. Is what I'm trying to say said in a kind way? That's important. I know people who try to say the right things, but in their tone of voice, it just, like, driving a knife into him. Can he handle it right now? It may not be the right time to bring it up. Pray for wisdom to when you should share these issues that you need to talk about. In Proverbs 16, verse 24, it says, Gracious words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and health to the body. Now, I was looking this up on the internet the other day about honey. I said, what are the benefits of honey? Um, one of them I did not put in the notes. Um, if you look it up, you'll find why. But the rest of these are very interesting. You could preach a whole sermon on these about the benefits of honey, that they help prevent cancer and heart disease. They reduce ulcers and other gastrointestinal disorders. It's antibacterial, antifungal. It increases athletic performance. It reduces cough. Anybody got any... Honey, right now? And, and the throat irritations. Blood sugar regulation. It heals wounds and burns. It's a probiotic. And it helps beautify the skin. I was thinking of going and taking a honey bath tonight. See what happens. If your words are to be like honey, we need to say things that are good to the hearing. Does that mean we never share them? No, no. There is a time that we have to share the tough things, but we need wisdom and sensitivity, and, and just the knowledge how to share that in a way that will come across what you want to say, not in a condemning way, but in a way to build someone up, which is only good to the building up of the others. And then in verse uh, chapter 25, verse 11, 25, 11, it says that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. 
If you can imagine gold the size of an apple, that'd be quite a treasure. And so he's saying that the words fitly spoken are like this awesome treasure that you want to take care of. So what are some of the things that, that can help in, in showing forth that treasure? This is for men and for women. Number one is, I'm sorry. Don't just say it flippantly when you know you're in trouble, but mean it. And express why you're sorry. I'm sorry that I offended you when I said that. I shouldn't have. I was out of order when I said that. I was wrong. Forgive me. The second one. Words of affection. When is the last time you shared words of affection besides love you, good night, or just something like that? But to sit down and give words of hope and words of commitment. You know, we've been together these years. We're going through some tough times right now, but I am committed to you. I am committed to our relationship. Nothing is going to come between us. Those are not easy to say, but it is so so fitting. And we're to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. So men, let's carry on with you just a little bit. And uh, your mission, should you choose to accept it, men, is to be singularly focused and delight in the wife God gave you. That is so important. A couple of warnings that, that they give us in Proverbs in chapter 6, verse 27 and 28. It says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? You've heard that saying, you play with fire, you're going to get burned. That's what he's saying. Don't mess around. Don't give way to the devil. You're going to get burned. The second thing is, says the, for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. And I, I, I had to say, what is, this, what is he saying? He says, for the, ways, for the man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. Well, who is he? And he is God ponders all his man's paths. God's watching. And he doesn't take these things lightly. God is watching wherever we go. What we're looking at on the internet. What we're thinking about at work, at the beach. What we're looking at. God's watching us. And he's asking us to be singularly focused on the wife of our youth that he's given us. So what are some of the ways that we are unfaithful for to our wives? Number one is sexually unfaithful. Now that doesn't mean going out and having an affair. It means what my eyes are looking at when she's not around. Or at work. Or at the beach. Or downtown, wherever. What are you, what are you focusing on? That's drawing your attention away from her onto someone else. Satan is a master at that. Mental unfaithfulness, that we're not really there with her. Emotional unfaithfulness, that we're giving our heart to other things, other people, other joys in our life. Financial unfaithfulness and verbal unfaithfulness, that we're, we're talking about her behind her back. 
in not so nice ways. But on the other hand, men, here's some encouragement. In chapter 5, let's look at that. We're going to look at four verses there. Chapter 5, verses 16 to 19, we see how we are to treat our wives. This is great. I love this. It said, should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. So there's four things that I want you to remember, man, that are so, it helps us to focus, be singularly focused. Starting in verse 16, it says, Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? We are to view our wives with singularity. They are all. Not our job, not our kids, not our hobbies, not sports, not anything else. But our responsibility, first of all, is to our wives. To be singularly focused on them. That's what he's saying. Should they be scattered abroad all... Should your springs, all everything that you're interested in and, and be water in the streets? No. Be singularly focused. The second thing in verse 17, he says, <clears throat> So let them for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. She is exclusively yours. Not anyone else's. She's yours. And no one or anything else should fill that spot that God gave to you. With her. There's nothing that should take that away. And thirdly, let your fountains be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. There's a fervency and a passion in your love for her and your relationship with her. Because it says, rejoice in the wife of your youth. So he's probably talking to an older person now. Rejoice in the wife that God gave you years ago. Things change but you should still have fervency toward your wife. And the last one's the most fun. Be intoxicated always with her love. Be intoxicated with her love. Don't go looking for love in all the wrong places or trying to find that satisfaction other places. But be intoxicated by her. Now, these are not easy especially when you're going through tough times. But as we learn to focus and we learn to bring ourselves back to where God had intended us from the beginning, it makes it, it makes it gel. When we do what we're supposed to do. No one has ever stood at the altar of marriage and said to themselves, well, I hope this works out. You know, people just don't say that. All the couples... I've known are not thinking that in a few years their lives are going to be torn, torn apart by fighting, discontent, and divorce. We all want to and are expecting that we will be the couple that lives happily, happily ever after. But you know what? Statistics have proven otherwise. 50% of all marriages, maybe up to 51% of all marriages, even in the church, end up in divorce. It's a shame. Because we have the Holy Spirit in us. 
And what's happening is that we are taking those two sinful creatures and beginning to live in that sinful nature and allowing Satan to have his heyday in our relationships when we as believers should be strong and faithful and vibrant and an example to the world of what love truly is. Marriage is not easy and it's not a walk in the park. It really takes hard work. As I look around the rooms, as I think about the couples that I've counseled, that I've met, my heart aches for you. And if I could take a magic wand, I wish I could just take a magic wand and just wave it over and say, be healed from all those hurts and ill feelings that you've experienced or are experiencing right now. I wish I could, but I can't. So what can I do as a pastor? What can we do as a staff? What can we do as a church to help you? We can pray for you. We can commit to holding you accountable and help you deal with that sinful bent, but the responsibility relays on you. You've got to admit it. You've got to realize marriage is hard work. I have to admit my sinful bents. I have to be willing to, to change me, not my spouse. That's God's job. You change and allow God to change you and watch what happens in your relationship. We have to look at our own sin first instead of at our mates. That is, that's the most important thing. In Matthew Chapter 7, verses 3 to 5, you know these verses. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. If we would learn to look inwardly first. If only she would do this. If only he would do this. We keep saying that, but it's not how it works. God, what am I doing? Reveal my sin in my life and help me to see where I am falling short of your plan for us as a couple. And let's watch what God does. Two more verses and I'm going to quit. In Proverbs 10, verse 12, it says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. <laughs> I love that. Another, um, that hatred stirs up strife is just so, it just eats at you. But yet we can learn to love through that and be able to forgive one another. And the other verse says, good sense in Proverbs 19, verse 11 says, good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. In another version, it says, sensible people control their tempers. Sensible people control their tempers. 